This episode of Pop Health Week is sponsored by Health Innovation Media. Health Innovation Media brings your brand narrative alive on the ground and in the virtual space for major trade show, conference, and innovation summits via our signature pop-up studio. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the producer and co-host of Pop Health Week. And joining me in the virtual studio is my colleague, co-founder, and principal co-host of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, president of Accountable Health, LLC. Our guest today making an encore appearance is Brian Klepper, Ph.D., a healthcare analyst, commentator, and entrepreneur who relentlessly focuses his attention on healthcare market dynamics and the drivers of the cost crisis. Brian is principal at Healthcare Performance, Inc. and Worksite Health Advisors, both specialized health benefits consulting firms connecting high-performance, high-impact healthcare organizations with organizational healthcare purchasers and health industry players. And with that introduction to our friend and colleague, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know what is on Brian's plate these days. Thanks so much, Greg. And Brian, welcome to Pop Health Week. Delighted to be here, Fred. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, you've been one of the guests who's, who's probably been on almost as frequently as our number one guest. It's always great to have you come back and learn about what's going on in the employer space and benefits space. You're always involved in some unique areas. And obviously, we're still living in this world of COVID. So how has COVID impacted the employers and potentially the municipalities you're working with? That's an interesting question. I think that what we've seen is that is that public organizations here we're talking about municipalities and and state employee health plans and so on organizations like that are have their have their backs up against a wall with with healthcare costs um costs has continued to increase rapidly and their their tax bases have have degraded under under the pandemic and so for the very first time a lot of them are willing to consider alternatives to conventional uh, care approaches that are that are way better. They're willing to explore those um, even though the 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 bukas, for example, don't offer many alternatives of those types. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I was wondering, you know, obviously with all the COVID work going on and some of the stuff we've been doing around COVID is you mentioned it, they're now beginning to focus on it. Have they been able to begin to shift away from just considering COVID and how do they run their municipality organization? And now it sounds like they're starting to get into looking at their benefits again. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's so. Um, there's a lot of activity with, uh, th- that I'm involved in with, um, with other brokers around, with with brokers around the country, who who have access to these kinds of of clients, and they they are clearly thinking more strategically now about their benefits and not just about COVID. Yeah, I could imagine, as you pointed out, which is something people sometimes don't think about, is yeah, the benefit costs have continued to go up, but now these municipalities and others are dealing with reductions in revenue, so it's even like a double whammy in a sense. Yeah, it's been pretty tough for them. I agree. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you always talk about, Brian, that's fascinating is this idea of high-performance healthcare. Can you define that from your perspective? Yeah. Um, high, what I mean by high-performance healthcare are are healthcare vendors of all types who who um, consistently deliver 
better health outcomes and or much lower cost than conventional approaches, particularly in high value niches. And, and by that, I'm talking about places where the money money really is in in musculoskeletal care, cardiometabolic care, chronic disease management, um, drug management, claims review, high claims resolution, specialty referral management, places that eat up a, a lot of the healthcare dollar and, and that, that have effectively developed new paradigms for how to manage within those niches. So when you talk about these niches, can you give us a sense of how much cost might be associated in one of those for an employer group or a municipality or someone else running a benefits plan? Yeah, so let's let's take the example of musculoskeletal. Um, in a typical employer, musculoskeletal issues eat up about 20% of the group health costs and 65, 75% of occupational health costs. So by the time you're done, you're at you're at 27, 28% of total healthcare spend. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a huge, it's a huge burden. And these new um, better approaches can drop that spend in half. Musculoskeletal and, and orthopedics is a particularly good example because there's a large literature showing that about half of everything that's done in that sector is inappropriate or unnecessary. And, and the, these kinds of uh, vendors give the proof of that. They get better health outcomes in half the recovery time and at half the cost of conventional approaches. And so how do companies or, or organizations interested in this area and, and beginning to dig into their benefits package, one, find, you know, I, identify that and to find a group that can actually do that kind of service? Um, well, there are, there are several ways as you know, as, as you and I know, um, you can, you can go to a place like the validation Institute and see whether, whether they have vendors that they, that they stand strongly behind who have been validated, or you can call somebody who, who, who works in that, in this particular space um, like like me, and and say, you know, who who should I go to for chronic disease management, and why and why do you think that, and where's the data for it? Um, I, I mean, as it as it turns out, uh, virtually everybody in healthcare claims they're a high performer, um, but but the truth is in the data, and and so what you want to know is most importantly, do they have longitudinal data showing that they consistently deliver better health outcomes or lower costs or both do they have do they have client testimonials are they scalable uh do they is there is their process uh enduring over time do they in other words it's great that they get great results after three months do they still get great results after two years um do they do they integrate with other uh, other functions within the larger healthcare management ecosystem, because that's really important that, that they, they not just be standalone. And are they willing to guarantee their results? So for example, one, one musculoskeletal um, management vendor 
will financially guarantee a 25% reduction in total healthcare, in total musculoskeletal spend on the patients they touch. And that works out typically to a four to 6% reduction in total healthcare spend, but you're really more likely to get double that because they, they're willing to guarantee about half of what they're capable of producing. So you're talking about about an eight to 12% reduction in total healthcare spend by using a particular vendor within a high value niche. Those are really big numbers. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you mentioned in that was this, this idea that everybody claims they're a high performer. And as you talked about, there's this issue of data and getting the data. And typically everyone who claims they're high performer puts some data in front of you. And so it can get very complicated, you know, as we both know, and perhaps you can touch on this as, as it really requires some detailed work to be able to vet those vendors and and uncover whether what they're saying is real. So you can then begin to bring in those people who truly make the difference, right? Yeah, and I, I think I think that's that's a critical point. Um, I mean it's not exactly like like people in healthcare don't have the truth in them, but it's close. And 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 what you want is an independent third party expert who can review the the review what the what the company is willing to put in front of you and and conclude that they're that they're that the results that you're going to get in the real world are you know align with with the results that they claim they can get mm -hmm. um, and that that requires methodological rigor so so that's a that's a special that that's a special set set of skills that that need to be brought to the table. Um, I, you know, it's it's worth pointing out now that you know you happen to be ex extremely good at 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 being able to discern whether somebody's blowing smoke or not. Mm -hmm. Well, thank thanks for that compliment. And one of the things I I wonder. So let's say I'm an employer A, and I've got this company with my and with my benefits plan, and maybe it's a fully insured package, maybe it's a self insured package, and I've got a broker I'm working with. What should I be asking that person? Because wouldn't most brokers want to be moving towards these types of uh, approaches or are there disincentives that keep the industry from doing that? Yeah, basically brokers make more of healthcare costs more, the same as the plans do. Um, I think you've seen a chart that I, that I put together that showed the, the, the stock price growth of the major health plans since the ACA came into into being and one of the lessons of that was that was that the major health plans have grown as much as five and a half percent per quarter for 47 quarters in a row it's absolutely spectacular um, revenue growth associated with that and that has made them you know because they make more if, it, if healthcare costs more they are not very receptive to approaches in healthcare that are, that are going to make healthcare costs less. So the, the the major plans typically are not receptive to this, the brokers typically are not receptive, but innovative brokers are and they're taking the long view. Mm -hmm. Um and and so so that's a that's a frame that employee benefit managers need to be very sensitive to. Because if the if the uh, if the broker is not willing to bring you solutions that are going to make things better, 
you probably need a different broker. Mm -hmm. And and along those lines, Brian, if you were looking at this from the viewpoint of the employer, what questions would you ask your broker? Um, are there in this in this niche? Are there better approaches? I, it it helps it helps to um, to understand the numbers on on some of these. For example, American. American medicine in general does a really lousy care, a lousy job with, with managing chronic disease. Mm -hmm. So 44% of Americans who have high blood pressure, hypertension, have it under control. And, and what control means is that there are clinical metrics, the, the clinical metrics on people with that condition in the population are within acceptable limits. That that's what control is. And when you're when you're out of control and you're outside of those acceptable limits, bad things happen. In the case of cardiometabolic disease, that's when people get heart attacks and strokes and amputations and and emergency visits and hospitalizations and a lot of diagnostics that make them cost way more than they otherwise would. Um, there are new vendors out there that have tools that take that take that control in hypertension and diabetes and high, high cholesterol and, and uh, heart, heart failure up into the, up into the 90% control. And so the difference in, in the, in the, the, in the capability of the care and the quality of the care that, that one type of vendor will give versus another, can be very profound and can and can result in tremendous differences. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's sometimes it has to do with the mechanism. There's a there's a specialty referral management organization that that has developed a a, a national network of virtual specialists, 200 virtual specialists across across specialties, and it turns out that about 40 percent of the of the ref specialty referrals that primary care doctors make, they already know what the what what the problem with the patient is, and they're sending it to the specialist to get it to get it it done. But on the other sixty percent, they're uncertain what the problem is, and so they're sending it to the specialist to get further evaluation and recommendations. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that if you send the if you send those sixty percent of patients to to a virtual specialist who doesn't have a dog in the fight, who doesn't, who's not not going to do procedures or diagnostics, but just but just evaluate the patient. Um, that then you can watch the number of 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 virtual specialty patients that get that, that then are followed by a, by a face to face specialty visit, and so far that number is about twenty percent which means that 80% of the 60% of, of patients are getting better outcomes with, with a reduction, with, with the elimination of diagnostics and, and, and procedures that would otherwise occur. And that, tw that, that 80% translates to something like a 20% reduction in total healthcare spend. It's a, it's a, an immense amount of money by putting in a step in the healthcare process that's part of the part of the institutionalization of healthcare waste in the American system. 
and what you've talked about is a sounds like a technological approach in a sense using telehealth which obviously took off during covid yeah are, are many of these technological solutions because we always hear oh we're going to throw this technology at it and solve the problem or are they more basic blocking and tackling type type things or is it is it a little bit of both and if you're just tuning in you're listening to pop health week our guest is healthcare analyst commentator entrepreneur and principal of healthcare performance inc and worksite health advisors brian klepper phd i'd say it's a little bit of both i I think that i think that um digital apps for example mobile apps are are given it's a there's an assumption that they're going to take the world by storm and they're going to do better than the blocking and tackling will but i'm a big advocate of the blocking and tackling i mean ultimately digital apps are typically help people make better decisions uh, of some type. And the problem with American healthcare isn't that patients make a lot of bad decisions. The problem is, is that the, the system is rigged in favor of the, of the, of the largest players. And so an, an app is not going to help you with that. It's, it's worth mentioning that uh, one of the equity firms recently did a study and found that that there had been about $50 billion invested into, into digital health uh, technologies in the last five years. And of course, every one of those investments was accompanied by a claim that it was going to be disruptive to the healthcare system and not a single disruption occurred. So, you know, from where, from where I sit in terms of looking at, at new ventures, I think a lot of money gets invested in ventures that have relatively little utility and and you have to sort of dig down deep to understand whether something really is really is special or not. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gets back to we had Lot and Burns on here a while back talking about, you know, um these various ideas that are just BS in healthcare, I think, was was essentially the topic of the articles he wrote on it. And uh, I think disruption was one of those terms, you know, being a dis- disruptor. Obviously, we've seen that come out a lot. So um, what, you know, again, as, as employers look at this, is it is it really about digging into your claims data, identifying those few areas? And should they, like, look at, say, well, let's target one of them. Let's look at the whole, uh, a couple of them. How would they, how should they go about trying to handle that? I think, I think that the issue there is to, is to look at where the money is mm-hmm. um, and, and to say, where can I have it? Where can I have the greatest possible positive impact with the least disruption to my to my benefits uh, system? Um, so an example of that is claims review. You know, there are organizations that do really good claims review, particularly looking at at hospital hospital claims, and consistently deliver about a seventeen to twenty five percent reduction. Uh, a return of the money that's been paid to for hospitalizations because of the way that they've been uh, that the that the the services have been have been billed and and paid for. Um, that's that's a huge number, and and in that kind of me- in that kind of service, it doesn't affect the patient at all. 
the, pay, the, the employer sends in their claims data, a review is done on the claims data, and then six or eight weeks later, a, a check arrives. So that kind of that kind of approach gets employers to wrap their heads around the fact that it, that that these better approaches are are out there and available and possible, and so they're more likely to do something else that that's that's innovative as well. Mm-hmm. One of the areas obviously that's been hugely impacted by COVID, work from home, kids at home. Uh, all of that is stress, anxiety, behavioral health, if you want to call it brain health. Are you seeing any innovative approaches in that area? Yeah, there's there's a there's a flurry. Uh, a, actually, it's a blizzard of <laughs> of um, new ventures in that space that are focused on evidence uh, evidence based techniques and that have huge investor backing. I think there's finally coming. A, a long overdue reckoning that nothing works well unless unless the the patients have have a good mental frame and and stop giving short shrift to that area i think that's that's one of the the huge new areas that's that's really taking off as well as as you pointed out telehealth mm-hmm. uh the these are these are areas that just have been given short shrift for a long time, and they're and COVID has brought them into their own, and mm-hmm. and they're and they're going to be they're going to be important forever going forward. What's your sense of this whole issue area of primary care sort of refer you know realignment? You know, is it going to be DPC? Is it on-site clinics? Is it capitation? Which parts of those do you think have the most benefit to uh, help employers? Um, well, you you know that I was a uh, an owner in a in an onsite clinic firm for a number of years, and and what I learned was was that primary care is the optimal place as the as the sort of gateway to the system to manage full continuum care and cost. And one of the things that I observed during that time was that most of the most of the clinic companies that I encountered thought they were in the primary care business when they were really in the full continuum risk management business. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 that's that's the future of, pr- of primary care is is to be able to refer very carefully. Um, identify, do early identification of problems, use evidence to, um, to, to, to attack the biggest kinds of problems in a population and manage them effectively to, to, to make sure that the right drugs get into the patient's hands. Primary care is going to become the, the specialty that manages overall complexity. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, that the most forward-thinking organizations in that space already do that. And, and you know, here we're talking about organizations like, like ChenMed, like, like Iora, mm-hmm. like Vera Whole Health, like CareATC. Um, and I think that there are many old-fashioned primary care groups in the wild, you know, accumulations of, of primary care doctors who are rethinking how, you know, how they want to to work in in the world, especially in an environment where they've been given 
uh, the short end of the stick by the major health plans. Mm -hmm. And when you say full continuum risk management, you're, are you in essence talking about they are at risk for cost outside of the typical primary care practice? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that it is up to uh, a primary care practice to demonstrate that, that when they get involved with a, with a population that total healthcare spend and, and, and overall health healthcare outcomes dramatically improve, mm -hmm. you know, that they, they are, they are truly the, the quarterback. They're not the gatekeeper. They're the care. They're 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 a patient advocate and guide, no matter where that patient is throughout throughout the system, and that that that's the um, that's the fulfilling role of of primary care as it's as it's coming to be understood. I think. What are your thoughts regarding direct primary care DPC as as a fronting vehicle for a health plan or benefits program? Is it, we're seeing a lot of people talk, oh, it's, it, the future is direct primary care. Do you see that much or, or do you think that'll work? Or what are your thoughts I, there? It's probably a matter of semantics, but I don't have a, I'm not a huge fan of direct primary care because, mm -hmm. because of a couple of things. One is I don't see direct primary care organizations investing in the kinds of management infrastructure that are necessary that are necessary to, um, to identify and manage risk in various parts of the, of the healthcare system. Um, and I don't see them offering up data that demonstrates that if you just use them and their approach that everything gets better. So I, I think that there is a new kind of professional primary care organization that gets all that and has made the investments and that's really more of the future. I think that's part of what we're seeing with um, with Walmart. Walmart wants to provide really good, accessible primary care that's that's really cheap, but they haven't really gotten their heads around to managing the risk that's associated at the population level that primary care is capable of of handling. And so they're they're sort of they haven't really evolved to, to the new model yet. I think there are other organizations in retail that, that could jump into that breach. Organizations like, like Costco or Target. Um, Kohl's is interested in it, of course. Um, and I, I think that those are very, that there's potentially huge disruption within those, or, within those retail organizations and, and what they could mean for primary care. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't uh, a lot of time here, Brian, and we'll ha obviously have to get you back on again. But you've been at this for I, I, I won't I won't age you or anything because I'm up <laughs> there, too. But for quite a long time and obviously pushing this issue consistently for years. Are we finally seeing the tipping point? Yeah, I think we are. Um, I'm actually more encouraged than I've been at any time in the last 25, 30 years that things are possible, that things can change and for the better um, because I see, I see lots of employers, you know, taking steps to, to do things differently and to say no to the, to, to the conventional approaches. I, I, I don't think that, 
United has anything to worry about from me in the near future, but, but I, I, I see way more innovation happening now than ever before and a, and a greater willingness by purchasers to be discerning and to be um, receptive to alternatives that have been proven to work in the marketplace. Well, that's fantastic to hear, Brian. I know we've discussed this for many years uh, and worked together on and off over those years. And it's fantastic to yeah. actually think that we might actually be seeing some of this change. And so thanks so much for joining the, us this week on Pop Health Week. It's been a pleasure. It's a treat as always. Thanks so much, Fred. Thank you again. And back to you, Greg. And that is the last word in today's broadcast. I want to thank Brian Klepper, PhD, a healthcare analyst, commentator, entrepreneur, and principal of Healthcare Performance Inc. and Worksite Health Advisors for his time and insights today. Do follow Brian's work on Twitter via at bklepper, the number one, that's B-K-L-E-P-P-E-R, the number one, and Worksite Health Advisors, www.worksitehealthadvisors.com. And finally, if you're enjoying our work here at Pop Health Week as much as we are, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they become available. For Pop Health Week, my colleague Fred Goldstein and Health Innovation Media, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.